What's up, everybody? Welcome to Building Our Power. This is Gabby. And KT. We're back with another episode. Sorry, guys. We were not here last week, but we are back. Ready to rock and roll part 20 of Blood in My Eye by George Jackson. Um, if we don't finish it today, guys, we will finish it the next episode, and that will complete the reading of Blood in My Eye. Thank everybody for continuing to uh, you know listen to it, comment on it, tell us your thoughts about it. Um, we've enjoyed this experience, definitely. We are on the bottom of page 174. KT is going to take it from here. So, what is to be done after a revolution has failed? After our enemies have created a conservative mass society based on meaningless electoral politics, spectator sports, and 3% annual rise in purchasing power strictly regulated to negate itself with a corresponding rise in the cost of living? What is to be done about an expertly, scientifically calculated, contrapositive mobilization of the entire society? What can we do with the people who have gone through the authoritarian process and come out sick to the core? There will be a fight. The fight will take place in the central cities. It will be spearheaded, spearheaded by the blacks of the lower class and their vanguard party, the Black Panther Party. Real union activity will eliminate the corporative ties between the regime, ruling class, and labor. People at the top will be removed, and the guy with the programmed mind will have no union boss to thank for him. He will remain neutral or join us in our fight to liberate him. We will work this attack at the productive level indirectly by first building our central city communes, which will revolutionize the all too conservative black laborer. We will build these communes against all resistance the pamphlet in one hand, the gun in the other. And black authoritarian traits are mainly the effects of terrorism and a lack of intellectual stimulation. They have been choosing the less dangerous and complicated mode of existence, survival. All classes, all people, are subject to the authoritarian syndrome. It requires only the proper set of eco-sociological circumstances or circumstantial pressures to turn black people around and reawaken their revolutionary consciousness. We're hungry. Our overall task is to separate the people from the hated state. They must be made to realize that the interests of the state and the ruling class are one and the same. They must be taught to realize that the present political regime exists only to balance the productive forces within the society in favor of the ruling class. It is at the ruling class and the governing elites, including those of labor, that we must aim our bolts. The average workingman will simply withdraw or watch with secret satisfaction or actively join in when we bring his union boss under attack. We, black people, have lived with terrorism for generations. It no longer affects us. It will intensify. We must prepare a counterterrorism. A man can never be so repressed that he cannot strike back in some way. But it must begin now. The Rand Corporation does 80% of its work for the military-industrial intelligence complex. 750 or more colleges offer police science courses. 247 additional colleges offer associate degrees in law enforcement. 
44 offer bachelor degrees. The National Guard numbers 390,000. The CIAD, Counterintelligence Analysis Detachment, the 113th Military Intelligent Group, is designed for the surveillance of private citizens. The police state isn't coming. It's here, glaring and threatening. How do we raise a new revolutionary consciousness against a system programmed against our old methods? Revolution is against the law. It will not be allowed, not in significant form. That makes the true revolutionary an outlaw and the black revolutionary a doomed man. As black people, we must function as the vanguard in any hostilities. We must use a new approach, unite and revolutionize the black central city commune and slowly provide the people with the incentive to fight by allowing them to create programs that will meet all of their social, political, and economic needs. We must fill the vacuums left by the established order. We must push the settlers off our land when they won't cooperate with the new communal life of our system. We must learn from the people. We must learn from the workers, the discipline they are so highly skilled in. In return, we must teach them the benefits of our revolutionary ideals. We must move black people to the forefront of a really productive assault on the outside enemy reactionary culture, not only on the production level, but in all significant areas of property relations. We must promote and support enforced rent strikes. Merchants must come over to our side or face the appropriation of their property for the commune. We must build a subsistence economy and a social political infrastructure so that we can become an example for all revolutionary people. Fascism has established itself in the most disguised and efficient manner in this country. It feels so secure that the leaders allow us the luxury of faint protest. Take protest too far, however, and they will show their other face. Doors will be kicked down in the night, and machine gun fire and buckshot will become the medium of exchange. I am an extremist, a communist, not communistic, a communist. And I must be destroyed, or I will join my comrades in the only communist party in this country, the Black Panther Party. I will give them my all, every dirty fighting trick in the annuals of war. Nothing will defeat our revenge, and nothing will countervail our march to victory. We come to our conclusion. The only historical recourse that is left to us. Freedom means warmth and protection against harsh exposures to the elements. It means food, not garbage. It means truth, harmony, and the social relations that spring from these. It means the best medical attention whenever it's needed. It means employment that is reasonable, that coincides with the individual necessities and feelings. We will have this freedom even at the cost of total war. The Oppressive Contract First women and children in a ditch in Vietnam, ultimately executions in the civic centers of every look-alike country, or I'm sorry, county in this country. 
Dear John, as you know, I'm in a unique political position. I have a very nearly closed future, and since I've always been inclined to get disturbed over organizing justice or terrorist practices against the innocents wherever, I can now say just about what I want. I've always done just about that, without fear of exposure or self-exposure. I can only be ex executed once. No matter what I do, they will always explain me away with the fact of my 11 years in prison and my supposed loss of contact with objective reality. So I rage on aggressive and free the action on April 6th. When I am denied or corrected, I always understand, but rage on. All on the principle that the ideal must be demonstrated, that the oppressed mentality must be taught by example to escape the myth, the hoax, that repression can work against the collective consciousness of the commune and to prove that ideals cannot be killed with violence. So, I'm duty-bound to take the occasion of your letter to respond with what an Irishman once termed the sweet taste of sedation. Sedition. I'll go straight back to our visit and the hour they allowed us to deal with all the years. I took your casual remarks concerning, quote-unquote, the outlaw back to the cell with me, tooled with it a bit, and clarified it in my own hand. I have a hundred related questions. I'm alive and learning. Outlaws, of course, I thought. Revolution will not be tolerated. It is against the law in the totalitarian, corporative state. The revolutionary must certainly reconcile himself with one day becoming an outlaw. Then my thoughts turn to the oppressive contract in general. It's the nat nature of cancer to expand. You've seen a great deal of it firsthand. U.S. expansionism since World War II. I've only studied it vicariously. But we see the same conclusions. Millions of outlaws in the Union of South Africa, Jordan, Indochina, and here. Summary executions, not of uniformed soldiers, but ordinary people. First, women and children in a ditch in Vietnam. Ultimately, executions in the civic centers of every look-alike country, county in this country. And that's the principal contradiction of Monopoly's capital's oppressive contract. The system produces outlaws. It also breeds contempt for the oppressed. Accrual of contempt is its fundamental survival technique. This leads to the excesses and destroys any hope of peace eventually being worked out between the two antagonistic classes, the haves and the have-nots. Coexistence is impossible. Contempt breeds resistance, and resistance breeds brutality. The whole growing in spirals that must either end in the uneconomic destruction of the oppressed or the termination of oppression. History is clear, a long continuum of synthesizing elements, the imbalances of the oppressive contract, ideals so fundamentally contradictory and forces so mutually exclusive can only result in the dissolution of the agents of that contradiction. The corollary of the contract is quite simply malignancy. It strikes first of all in the region of the brain, a search for a non-diseased mind throws one hard against one of the greatest historical, biological calamities imaginable. 
Excuses can be made for some workers. Blind defense for the system that is victimizing them, brainwashed by the national advertising cancels, portrait of the silent majority as well off in the comparison to the barbarian world. Their mindless behavior can also be explained by their ignorance of labor history. But even the nationalistic conditioning received in massive doses from birth cannot completely explain why man would turn against himself. Even the workers' short-term economic advantage is only a partial explanation. We must look for the root causes in the social, or I'm sorry, in the psychosocial effect of competitiveness and racism. The huge mass of blue-collar workers seem to be working totally against themselves in the support of a system owned and controlled by a tiny minority. Actually, their contradictory behavior is explained by feelings of loyalty to their race, by their identification with the white hierarchy, and by their economic advantage over the oppressed races. They may be oppressed themselves, but in return they are allowed to oppress millions of others. The economic nature of racism is not simply a side. Built-in physical features exclude black people from participation, exclude them from forever. These features cannot be changed. It is a relationship that must change. Racism is a fundamental characteristic of monopoly capital. When the white self-congratulatory racist complains that the black people are uncuffed, unleathered, unlettered, and our areas are quote-unquote run down, not maintained, that we dress with loud tastelessness, a thing they now also say about their own children. He forgets that he governs. He forgets that he built the schools that are inadequate, that he has abused his responsibility to use taxes paid by black people to improve their living conditions, that he manufactured the loud pants, and pointed shoes that destroyed and deformed the feet. If we are not enough like him to suit his taste, it's because he planned it that way. We were never intended to be a part of this world. It's a silly contradiction for him or us to dwell on the subject of comparisons between the enemy culture and its creation, the subculture. Okay. And I just wanted to talk about that one little thing. That is too funny. That's true. But it's like... What's all the things they say is destroying the America, uh, the black community? Rap, hip hop, pants sagging, twerking, <laughs> uh, TikTok dancing. All these things, <clears throat> which have been co opted and corporatized and sold to the masses, is what is wrong with the black community. The guns, all the gun violence. I'm, where are we getting the guns from? All these things, they're manufactured by somebody. These are guns from the U.S. military. Mm-hmm. All these things are things that were given to us. So, if you're the one that is manufacturing it, you're the one that's producing it, you're the one that's selling us the thing, you're the one that's selling us the lifestyle, whatever, that is obviously by design. You obviously want to create a division between us and everybody else. Like, that is the whole point. You're trying to reinforce white supremacy. Yeah. And you're trying to then point fingers at us and have everybody else point their finger at something that you help create. It's like the crack epidemic. Almost. It's like the crack epidemic. 
brought the crack in the in the communities. And then want to go on this tirade about the crack babies. Oh, what are we going to do about the crack babies? What are we going to do about the crime? Or what are we going to do about the thing? What? You brought the you brought the crack in the community. You didn't have a you didn't have a plan. You didn't know that was going to happen. Well, yeah, they did because they That's brought it the in thing. there. So so it was like that. It was a great distraction to white America. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're going crazy in the in the ghettos. But not going to the source of where is this stuff coming from. I guess they thought it just dropped from the sky or something. I don't know. But this this there's something that's interesting. It's it's funny. Um But I mean white supremacy doesn't make sense and it's not supposed to make sense. So that's why it ain't even worth it arguing with these people. It's no it's no use. It's no use, it's no reason. If people feel feel that you're subhuman you trying to make a case for yourself is just a waste of breath. Yep. All right. I agree with what you said. All right. So, the only way the exporter can maintain his position is to create differences and maintain deformities. It is in the sense of the finality of their exclusion from solid socioeconomic participation that forces our youth away from the crippled family unit into the streets. It causes the excessive importance of meaningless relationships and the prevalence of anti-communal behavior, which is the psychosocial response to the loss of and longing for, longing for community. The diseased mind is slowly spreading throughout the oppressed organism. Even the man- magnificent savage, the mindless overman, is dying from the almost total anemia. Where is the black man? I see him inseparable from the black female, but where is he now? How has he survived at all is almost beyond any rational explanation. Early, I understood the alternatives of the black situation. Assimilation, meaning acceptance of the oppressive contract. Ossification, or life below, beyond, outside of social or revolution. But John... I meant to some confusion over the issue of white racism growing out of my experience in prison. My mind has facilitated between the historical references, African feudalism and African communalism. I know that we Africans were the first communists. J. Edgar Hoover calls it primitive communism in one of the glossaries of his anti-people books. Dr. Dubois dealt with it in the Philadelphia black person I think I can't quite remember now in a positive manner so I never had any of the really serious hang-ups in the accepting revolution but I think for a while I sincerely felt that Europeans were not capable of communist Unitarian behavior I felt this however only briefly since Unitarian progressive conduct seems to be a problem for all of us after hundreds of years of steadily centralizing capitalism and in some areas, after thousands of years of hierarchy. I've always understood that the new cultural nationalistic attempts to return to the pre-slavery past of African feudalism can only leave the average black man more uncertain and insecure than ever. It is difficult to understand why such a negative, academic, and obscure exoticism exists when there are definite examples of historical contributions which could be used to analyze and give meaning to our present and our future. 
The commitment to total revolutionary must involve an analysis of both the economic motives and the psychosocial motives which perpetuate the oppressive contract. For the black partisan, national structures are quite simply non-existent. A people without a collective consciousness that transcends national boundaries, freaks, Afro-Americans, black people, even Americans, without the sense of a larger community than their own group, can have no effect on history. Ultimately, they will simply be eliminated from this scene. Without the collective sense of community, without its movement, Bobby Hutton, the shootout on Central, August 7th, and institutions are survival projects that will now grow into infrastructure, we simply never will be an effective force. All right, we're going to stop there at 186. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening. It was part 20 of Blood in My Eye for George Jackson. Thank you again. Guys, you want to hit us up, you can hit us up at Building Our PWR on all social media channels. We'll try to get to it when we can. We, we, life's been life right now. It's, we're kind of, you know, dealing with life. But uh, thank you, everybody, for your encouragement, for your donations, everything. Uh, Patreon. Patreon, all that good stuff uh, to help stock the community fridge in Binghampton, which there is a story that we're probably going to hopefully be able to talk about in the near future about what's going on in that area. Yeah, a rant episode. Mm -hmm. Y'all need one of those. Um, But yeah, this has been Gabby. And Katie. And this has been Building Our Power.